Good morning, church. Good to see you, Blair. (laughs) uh, I'm excited to get into the Word today with you all as we're going through our Christmas series. We're calling it Unwrapping the Names of Jesus. And I wanted to ask this morning to start out with, where do you turn when your back's against the wall? When when, um, you have a dilemma in your life, some sort of crisis that you're facing, uh, you need some wisdom, some counsel. Uh, What is your default in a crisis moment? I'm going to be real with you guys uh, to start out of the gates, uh, because if this guy is strong enough to turn this way, then so am I. Um, This is my default position to call my mother when things are going south. And I remember when I, in college, I broke up with my girlfriend and here I was in the back of the Bible school in the yard and I'm, I'm holding it together. I'm doing pretty good. And then I call mommy, and she picks up the phone, and I'm on my my cell phone, and she says, hello? That's all it took. And I feel this water rising up from within me. And she can tell, because moms are just, you know, intuitive like that. I didn't say anything, but she automatically, is everything okay? And I just broke, right? We broke up, and I thought she was the one, and we were going to get married and have babies, and now we're going to put it out. And I'm just, I am a hot hot mess, right? When I was in trouble, I turned to my mom. And where we turn in those times of trouble, when we need wisdom, tells us a lot about ourselves, doesn't it? Like, apparently, I'm a mama's boy. That's just kind of, I'll just, that's fine. I can own that. But we, some of us, man, we turn to, maybe we turn to the the bar, turn to the bottle or the pill in an attempt to drown our problems, kind of stuff the things, bury our hurts and our feelings deep down. Maybe for some of us, we turn to the horoscopes, right? We turn to, and probably more of us than we'd care to admit, that we turn to things where we just want to know, how is my life going to turn out? Try to make sense of the direction of where we're going forward. Some of us will seek counseling, therapy, uh, psychiatric help of some sort. Maybe you turn to a friend, a a close confidant. Maybe you come to your wise and extremely good-looking pastor. That's that's not a bad, that's not a bad source for wisdom. But what we're going to see this morning What we're going to see this morning is there is one, there is only one, who is the ultimate one who is fit and capable and wise enough to guide us, to give us counsel, should actually be our first call. And and, and the best, the only wise counselor that there is, this morning we're going to talk about our wonderful counselor, Jesus. Now, In this series, as we're unwrapping these names, these are the names that God revealed to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9 about who this coming deliverer, this promised Messiah, would be. And we we looked at this last week. We said that that we saw that Jesus, he said, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, government will be on his shoulder, this will be a ruler, a royal child given. And then he, he tells us these four names that this Messiah will be called. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And over the next few weeks, we're looking at each one of these, the names of Jesus and what they mean for our lives. Now, last week, we looked at the term wonderful. And we saw that Jesus is the only ultimate source of unending and all-satisfying wonder and awe and worship in our lives. And this week, we're going to look at this term, Counselor. He is a wonderful Counselor. And we're going to find out this morning, he's the only true source of wisdom. The Hebrew word yeats is, is where we get this word counselor, and it means to advise, uh, it can mean to consult or give counselor. Now, when we think in, in America today, when we think of the word counselor, we're picturing the guy uh, listening to you when you're sitting on the couch. 
okay? Now, in their idea, their mindset, they were thinking less psychiatrist, less therapist, and more about a military strategist. And again, think about the context of Isaiah chapter 9. There's this king who's going to come and, and help, uh, come, come and give them a way to victory over their oppressors. The Assyrian Empire had overthrown Israel, right, as their oppressors. And here comes this one who's going to counsel them on how to be victorious in war and in battle. That was what they thought this Messiah was coming to do. And Albert Barnes, he says it this way. This word, yeots, it denotes one of honorable rank. One who is suited to stand near princes and kings as their advisor. It's the, it is expressive of great wisdom and of qualifications to guide and direct the human race. So this kind of a counselor that the Messiah was going to be, this guy had some pedigree. Able to stand next to kings and princes and guide and rule nations. So this is more than just maybe what we're thinking of today is this counselor who's a passive listener handing you the tissues while you're on the couch talking about your life's problems. And just taking notes and occasionally going, hmm, interesting. This, this man, this counselor, was, was a guide. One who they were going to be called to obey and follow into battle. And, and God declares here Jesus as the all-wise counselor. And what we're going to find this morning as we explore scripture is that, number one, we all need a counselor. We desperately need a counselor. Number two, that we have a counselor. We have an all-sufficient counselor. And number three, we're going to look at some practical ways at how Jesus counsels us in our lives. So let's look at this together. Number one, our need for a counselor. Wisdom incompetent. You and I lack wisdom. We need something. Now, just full kind of cards on the table. I've mentioned this before. I'm a big fan of romantic comedies. I'm a sucker for a rom-com, just like the next guy. Um, and one of the things that in, in these rom-coms, they always tell you, and we see this in popular culture, follow your heart, right? What is your heart telling you? Should you choose that guy or not? Should you do, and, and, and let me tell you something. You know what the Bible says about following your heart? Don't do it. Some of the dumbest advice you could ever receive is to follow your heart. And here's why the Bible says that is so dumb. Now, Jeremiah 10. I know, Lord, that our lives are not our own. We are not able to plan our own course. He says we can't figure this thing out on our own. Why? Seven chapters later. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It tricks us. It tells us where to go, but he says, don't follow it, because it's leading you off course, right? Rerouting, rerouting. Don't follow your heart. And they're desperately wicked, not just deceitful. He says, who really knows how bad this heart is? We don't even know the depths of the deceit and wickedness of our heart. Well, why is our heart wicked? Why is it deceitful? Well, it takes us back to the fall of man. How we got into this problem in the first place. And Charles Spurgeon, as always, says it way better than I could. He says, it was by a counselor that this world was ruined in the first place. Did not Satan mask himself in the serpent and counsel the woman with exceeding craftiness that she should take under herself of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil in the hope that thereby she should be as God? I'll decide what's right and wrong in my life. Was it not, in, was it not that evil counsel which provoked our mother to rebel against her maker and did it not, as the effect of sin, bring death into this world with all its train of woe? Don't you wish we still talked like that? A train of woe? Ah, beloved, it was meet that the world should have a counselor to restore it if it had a counselor to, to, to destroy it. Ah, beloved. He says, 
taking bad advice, heeding false counsel, is what got us into this mess in the first place. In fact, this is Satan's calling card. It's his only tool is lies. Because at the cross, Jesus defanged Satan. He disarmed him. He, de- he defeated him. Complete victory. So, so what we face in our lives is not an arm wrestling match with the devil or with sin. This is not a power struggle. All he can do is try to blind us to the truth of who Jesus is and what he's already given us. And, and Paul said this in 2 Corinthians. He said the God of this world, he's talking about Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He says, Jesus has come, and he's met all of our needs. And all that Satan can do is try to cover the eyeballs of people and go, don't look, don't see that Jesus is everything you need him to be. And if he can just blind us from that, perhaps he can get us off course. And Adam and Eve, this is the trap they fell for in the garden, right? They desired, listen, to be their own source of wisdom. They they said, we'll decide what's right and what's wrong. They bought Satan's lie, which was to doubt the wisdom of God. Is God really for you? Maybe he's holding back on you. Can you really trust him to be for you and to know better than you do? Does he really have your best interest in mind? And so what they did is they tried to become their own gods, And find wisdom on their own, and ironically, is the very thing that led them into utter darkness and foolishness. What was the result? Remember from Romans chapter 1. They knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God, or even give him thanks, or look to him for wisdom. And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Not wisdom, foolishness. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them or gave them up to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. He said, do you want to be God? you want to play this game? Here you go. Have at it. And he gave them over to what they wanted, to look for themselves for wisdom. And we look around in the world today and we see the results. This is why Paul Tripp says that this was not, this was not the original intent of our maker. He says, we were never created to be our own source of wisdom. Never. Even before the fall. We were designed to be revelation receivers. I love that. To be revelation receivers. Dependent on the truths that God would teach us and applying those truths to our lives. We were created to base our interpretations of reality, the choices that we make, and behavior, how we live, on his wisdom, living outside of this, will never, ever work, and we are all living case studies of that. And the proverb says the same thing, right? We're not meant to figure this out our, our, ourselves, to go on it our own. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. You can't figure this out. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. If we want straight paths, if we want to go in the direction that we're supposed to go, if we want life to be the way God intended it to be, it's not based on our own wisdom and our own understanding. So we turn to the wonderful counselor. Listen to his wisdom. Obey his wisdom. Let's see why it is that Jesus is the all-wise counselor. Number two, Jesus is counselor. Wisdom incarnate. We see wisdom incarnate. Now, the Bible doesn't say just God, like Jesus is like handing us the wisdom of God. It actually says Jesus is the wisdom of God. Colossians 2, Christ in whom are hidden how many of the treasures? All of them. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And how crazy to think that in that little manger that we celebrate this time of year lie all of the wisdom and knowledge of the universe. 
In fact, Corinthians 1 says Christ is. He is the wisdom of God. Now, when I'm looking for someone wise, if I'm looking for a counselor, what kind of qualities am I looking for in that counselor? Okay, number one, I'm looking for someone that's cheap, right? No, just kidding, kind of. Um, no, I'm looking for two things, two things. Number one, I'm looking for someone who's competent, someone who has the right qualities and abilities, someone who understands my experience, is experienced themselves. And number two, I'm looking for someone who's compassionate, not just someone who knows, but someone who actually cares, that's going to have my best interest at heart. Now, when we open up the Gospels, we're going to find a wonderful counselor who is both competent and compassionate. So let's look at this Jesus. First of all, he is competent. He gets me. Jesus gets me. Every Thursday afternoon, <clears throat> I meet with a guy named Larry Smithwick, our former interim pastor, now the pastor over at Kenai Grace. He has been in ministry for 49, almost 50 years. And I get free counseling sessions with him every week, right? I told you I'm cheap. And, and so one of the reasons that he's so helpful, that he is so good, is that he's walked in my shoes. He has been a pastor over 16 times longer than I have. He has experience, right, that I don't have. And he's also lived in Alaska for most of those decades, so he knows how to deal with some specific crazies like you guys, right? <laughs> Kidding, kind of. Um, he, he, we have, we're both competitive. We both love basketball. Like we have a lot in common. He understands how I operate. Now, the best counsel comes from those who understand us, who, who have walked in our shoes. And if there's anyone who gets me, if there's anyone who understands who I am, it's my Jesus. See, why? Well, first of all, he made me. We said in Hebrews 1 last week that he made the, the entire universe. And specifically, he made you and I. Psalm 139, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. So probably the person who made you understands how you tick. In fact, in the Gospel of John, this is exactly what John says, no one needed to tell Jesus about our human nature. For he knew what was in each person's heart. He knew everything about us. He knows everything about us. He made us. Not just that he made us, he became like us. He became like us. Jesus is God with skin on. And this is what we celebrate this time of year. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That, that God became just like me. And this is the cool thing about him becoming a human, just like you and I. This is what Hebrews says about the benefit of that for us, the necessity of that for us. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are he passed the test. He didn't sin. You see, Jesus walked this road. He knows what it's like to be tired and still do the things on the day's agenda. He knows what it's like to stub your toe in the dark. He knows what it's like to get hangry when the pastor has gone well past noon once again, right? He knows what it's like to be hurt by other people. He knows what it's like to be let down by other people. He knows what it's like to be tempted gets us. He's walked our road. He's been there. He's done that. Not only did he become like us, even more than that, he now lives in us. First Corinthians, and because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. See, the, the risen Jesus, his, his spirit, his spirit is now one with mine that I'm united with him. You can't get much closer than being one with somebody. And Jesus now dwells in us. We dwell in him. It's a pretty intimate relationship and an understanding. 
If there's anyone who knows me, who gets me, it's the one who, who made me, became like me, and now lives inside of me. Jesus, he gets me. And we see this in action. As you, as you look to the Gospels, we see Jesus understanding the heart of man, this all-wise, all-competent counselor who knows what's really going on in our hearts. Remember the story of the rich young ruler, Luke chapter 18? Here comes this dude kind of strutting up to Jesus, thinking his life's pretty legit. He's been this good little Hebrew boy who's kept all the rules. But Jesus saw past all of that, and the wonderful counselor puts his finger directly on the problem, his greedy heart. He says, you want to follow me? Sell all of your things. And what did that expose? It exposed the idol in his heart, what he loved more than God himself. If you want to be saved, you got to do some heart work and deal with that. Woman at the well comes up to Jesus. And what does he do? He cuts past it all. He says, go back to your husband. She goes, I don't have one. What's he? he goes, yeah, you're right. You have, you've had five. And the one you're currently shacked up with liked it but didn't put a ring on it, right? You're not even married to him. And he gets to the heart issues of the things going on in this woman's life. These Pharisees who impressed so many people with their religiosity Jesus was not fooled by their external trappings. He saw in their hearts, he saw arrogance, he saw self-promoting agendas, and he saw their hypocrisy. He knew what they really needed, and it was himself. He's the all-wise, all-seeing, infinitely competent counselor. But just as important as his abilities, as his competence, is his compassion. Jesus not only gets me, he loves me. He loves me. You ever had a doctor, like one of these guys, very skilled, but lacking all bedside manner, right? You know what I'm talking about. And you walk into that office, and they go, do they actually care about me? And listen, whether it's a counselor, whether it's a physical doctor, whoever it is, if you don't feel like they have your best interest in heart, you're going to be pretty slow to, to listen, to follow, right? Do they actually care about who I am? And Jesus not only understands us and knows us, but he loves us. Remember when Jesus' friend Lazarus dies? Jesus doesn't just callously go, eh, He's coming back in four days. You guys need to settle down. What does he do? He comes alongside Mary and Martha and their friends, and it says, Jesus wept. And this, this Greek word here did not just mean like a shedding a tear. He is weeping uncontrollably. Why? Because he loved Lazarus. He didn't just get Lazarus. He loved him. Matthew 9, when he saw the crowds, he didn't go, ugh, all these sinners and sickies lined up again. No, he says he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were confused. They needed a counselor. Because they were helpless. They needed a savior. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he wanted to be that for them. And he came among them because he loved them. Listen, Jesus cares about you as a person. You are not just a client in his office who gives you an hour and then goes, time up, pick it up next week. You're not just a minion in his army. He knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And he became a human just like you to get into the dirt and the mud and slop around with you. He sat and he ate with sinners, with drunkards and hookers, the lonely and the losers. In fact, he was, he was labeled, and this was supposed to be negative from the Pharisees, a friend of sinners, but I don't know a more beautiful description for my Jesus than a friend of sinners. He likes you. He likes me. We can trust both his judgment and his heart. And in the manger, 
in the manger we find the most competent, compassionate counselor the world has ever known. But, but now how do we bring this down to our level where we can kind of live? How, how does Jesus counsel us? Because, you know, you go to a counselor here locally, and you get to look them eyeball to eyeball, you get to speak your problems to them, you see the ears that are listening to you, and then they speak back to you, and you can hear them, right? It's this face-to-face encounter, and today, right now, physical Jesus is not walking into this room. So how does this Jesus counsel us today? Four ways that we see all provided in the person of Jesus. Number one, or A, it's his word. Jesus is the living word. But what is Psalm 119 talks about the word of God. And it says, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Your word counsels me. It consults me. It directs me. It guides me. And you probably know the verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If we want to know where to go, if we want to know how to step forward, then we open up his word. And we listen, we listen to the word being preached by fabulous pastors on Sunday mornings. And we also get into the word ourselves. We don't want to just base this on secondhand feeding. We need to be able to go to the Bible and read it ourselves. Because if we want to know the answers to life's questions, the authority and the foundation must be in his word. Also, we see, be his example. Jesus didn't just tell us things. He showed us. Much better than telling someone is showing them. And if you open up the Gospels, and I encourage you, this, week, this uh, month we're walking through the book of Luke together as a church on your own. I'd be encouraging you to read through that as we celebrate Jesus incarnate with us. And as you read the Gospels, you see, you see Jesus' heart, his words, his actions. You want to know how to live your life. There's no better place to look than the example of Jesus in the four Gospels. See, his spirit more than just telling us and showing us, he actually does this through us. The spirit of Jesus, the spirit of wisdom incarnate, lives inside of each of us today. Isaiah 11 calls it the the, the spirit of counsel that was going to dwell in this Messiah. And then Ephesians 1 says that exact same spirit dwells in me today. And what did Jesus call this Holy Spirit? John chapter 14. But the counselor, or it can be translated comforter, helper, advocate, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, and he did after Jesus left, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. So this was the Spirit's job, to indwell us and guide us and lead us and convict us. And how does he do that? By reminding us of everything Jesus said. He's pointing us to Jesus. Because sometimes, we kind of, especially as Westerners, we get a little wigged out by the Spirit stuff. Like, is this a little out of bounds for us? Uh, what, What does this mean? And how do I know... That it's the Holy Spirit leading and guiding me and not just the bad pizza that I ate last night? How how do I know this is the Holy Spirit? Well, one thing we're told here is he's going to remind you of what Jesus said. And and if the leading of what you're kind of experiencing and convicting doesn't line up with the Word of God, don't listen to it. If you think the Spirit is guiding you to punch someone in the face, that's not the Holy Spirit, right? That's your flesh. That's my wise pastoral advice to you today. Don't punch people in the face, right? All right, there you go. Free of charge. Finally, his body, D, his body. Uh, Proverbs 15 talks about the wisdom of listening to other people, to wise counsel. Without counsel, many plans fail, but with many advisors, not just one, many advisors, they succeed. Listen to other people. Proverbs 13, pride leads to conflict. You try to do it yourself, if you think you've got it all together, you're a one-man band, it's going to lead to conflict. It's not going to work. Those who take advice are wise. You want to be wise, humble yourself, and listen to other people. In fact, that's one of the beautiful things we've been given in the body of Christ. 
Colossians 3 says this, teach and counsel each other with what? All the wisdom that you can muster up on your own? No, with all the wisdom he gives. He gives his word and his spirit to other people as well. And people like Larry in my life and people in your life who are more experienced, who know the word, can come alongside and counsel. So we listen to others, but ultimately only if their counsel lines up again with the word of God. If it's biblical and godly wisdom, then we heed that. So God has given us lots of avenues to counsel and guide us through his word, his example, his experience, his, his uh, spirit, and his body. But here's where I want to land the plane. I believe that Jesus, way more often, is going to counsel us on the hows than the whats. Way more often is going to show us how than what. So for example, if you take your kids to a local playground, which is time of year, you're very brave, and you take them there, you're a lot more concerned about the how than the what, right? Like, you're not telling your kid, all right, Johnny, I want you to go over there and spend 10 minutes on the slide, and then I want five reps on the monkey bars, and then you're going to hit the swings, right? Like, you don't, just go and play, right? Just go have fun. But what I am concerned about is the hows. How is Johnny playing on the playground, right? Is he being kind? Is he taking turns with his siblings? Be nice, Johnny, right? Is he being safe? Johnny, don't run up the slide. Johnny, don't jump off the swing, Right? Is he being nice to the new kids, right? Come on, why don't you take a turn, introduce yourself, give him a gospel track, right? Whatever you need to do, Johnny. We're a lot more concerned about the how than the what, right? There's freedom there. The what's, there's some freedom there. And what we often try to do is kind of, we, we really want God to give us the specifics in our lives. A or B, right? Should I marry Jack or Jill? Should I move to Pickle Hill, Right? Should I take this job or that? Should I buy that brand new hat? I don't know how that turned into a Dr. Seuss rhyme, but <laughs> we're here. So, so listen, we want God's counsel to be sort of like a magic eight ball, where we just sort of shake the ball, and he tells us, yes or no, or, you know, try again, or whatever the one is. And, and this is, this is the, man, I'll tell you what, we, we, we want God to tell us the future. We want, kind of like that horoscope, we, we, want us, we want him to tell us how it all works out, but we still want to be in control. <laughs> we are crafty little sinners. We know his will. The word is very clear. Trust Jesus. Become like Jesus. He's a lot more concerned about that than the exact where you live and what job you have. There's freedom there in Christ to make those choices. But what he's much more concerned about is how you do that. So if you're looking at a decision in your life, should I take that job or not? Should, I, should we move out of state or stay here? Listen, God's a lot more concerned, and the wisdom he's going to give you has a lot more to do about the how. Ask the right questions. How is this affecting me, and not just me, but just as importantly, my whole family? And am I communicating with my spouse well in this process? Are we coming to the Lord first and foremost and surrendering to him and asking the questions, how will this move or this job change or this decision affect our ability to make disciples? What kind of a neighborhood does it put us into? What does this do with our church life, with our, with our, with our, with our interaction with other people? And be asking the right kinds of questions. God's more concerned about your hows than your what. And we can follow him in this state or another state, in this job or another job. Proverbs 16.3 says it this way, Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Now, Timothy Keller, he made a really good point on this. We often try to flip this. And what we try to say is, commit your plans to the Lord. Lord, here, you tell me what to do, and then my actions will succeed. 
Once he tells me what my plan will be, then my actions. But no, that's not what the proverb says here. Just commit your actions to the Lord. We say, Lord, what I am going to do, I'm surrendering to you. I want to be the kind of person, the house, that you want me to be. And listen, if we become the kind of person that God wants us to be, we're going to find ourselves in successful plans. We're going to find ourselves walking down the right path. Because I can be the right person a lot of times on path A or path B. Jesus isn't here just trying to sell us some advice. Like, come to me and I'll tell you how to figure out your life. This life that we live is not man-centric. It's God-centric. That's why Proverbs, the wisdom book, tells us. You want to know about wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the starting place. You will not experience any wisdom in your life if you don't come to this as a reference point, that God is God and you are not. Until I stand before, in fact, as I bow before this God in humility and obedience and surrender, letting him be God, acknowledging the wonder and the wonderful counselor I will not find wisdom. I will not be walking right. And I will stumble along the path, whichever one I take. Is God God in your life? Are you fearing him first and foremost with that reverent awe that we're called to? Jesus isn't just here to be your Google Maps, okay? Right? Take a job in one mile, right? It's my Siri. He wants to be your wisdom. Wisdom is found in a daily relationship with God repenting of our sins, surrendering to our sweet, competent, compassionate Savior. In the Hebrew mindset, wisdom was applied knowledge. It was applied knowledge. Wisdom wasn't just, do you know the facts? Do you know the truth? Do you know God's will? It's, are you walking in it? That's the wise person, the one who hears the word and obeys it. And we can only obey it with the new heart that Jesus gives us. We know the what's. Love God, love others, preach the gospel, make disciples, become like Jesus, trust in his name alone. Jesus' wisdom shows us the hows, the ability to apply what we know. Let me ask you this morning, are you trusting and obeying your wonderful counselor? Or like Adam and Eve, are you trying to be your own source of wisdom? Let's pray. Father, (laughs) we come to you just like James calls us to. You, you tell us in your word, in your word, if anyone lacks wisdom, and God, I'm here today, first in line, admitting I lack wisdom. Father, I need your wisdom. I need Jesus. But your promise says, if we come to you, not doubting, if we come with our faith applied in you, that you'll give it to us. So, Lord, I confidently ask on behalf of my brothers and sisters here today that that we need wisdom, that you would give us that wisdom to show us, again, not necessarily all the what's, as much as we want to know A versus B, God, that you would show us the how's. How would you have us live? Wherever we're currently working, wherever we're currently living, whoever we're currently married to or considering marrying, Lord, wherever we're at in this path, that we would look to you for wisdom and the humility to say, we can't figure this out on our own, that they would open the word that we would listen to the wise advisors around us, we would follow the prompting and leading of the Holy Spirit, and that we would follow the example of Jesus, 
so that we might become the kind of people that you want us to become like. The image that we're to be conformed into is Jesus as himself. May we look to him and no one else, not just for the what's, but the how's. May Jesus be wisdom in and through us, love in and through us to show this world this time of year what you came to do to seek and save the lost. Give us the wisdom in how to do that. It's in your counselor's name that we pray. Amen.